Um, we are part, we're part way, well, we've just started a series called The Cost of uh, Discipleship. And uh, one of the things that we're wanting to do with this series, because it's such a key uh, concept, it's such a key um, command for us as Christians to live out, that we wanted to leave the final week, which is going to be, uh, what is it, the 6th of March or something like that. I think there's a slide on that, Nebs. If we can go to the slide with the Q&A. We'll be doing a Q&A session. Oh, I didn't put the date down. That's fine. Um, and so we will actually be more trying to get into the questions. I'm echoing a little bit down here. Um, is that better? I don't know. If you guys are all right, I'll work it out. Um, and so we wanted to actually answer questions that you have regarding discipleship, regarding things that we have spoken about over the course of this series. So let me just be clear, it doesn't have to specifically be about what we've spoken about these few weeks, although if there's something that we've said that you go, hey, can we go deep into that? Oh, I don't really get that concept or whatever. We can totally uh, come back to that as well. Uh, but if you have any questions about discipleship, maybe there are things that you've experienced in your life things that maybe have gone a little bit weird that you're kind of wanting some clarification about. That Sunday is a Sunday where both Pastor Beck and myself, we are going to just have a bit of a convo about everything discipleship. If you guys don't come up with questions, I'll come up with some tough questions for Pastor Beck to answer. And so that will be fun as well. Uh, we will still have a Sunday morning if no one sends anything through. But we really want to make this whole series very real. There's nothing worse than talking about discipleship and then not living it out. I think that that is an absolute tragedy uh, for us as Christians to know that the, uh, the, the great uh, commission, the great commandment that God has given to us is to make disciples and then we just don't. What is the whole point of that? And so we want to uh, camp on that uh, and the questions that everyone has in a few weeks. And so you can take down that phone number. It is anonymous. I don't save people's names into that phone. And so we'll just take it as it comes. And um, yeah, if we get too many questions, great. We might make a new series up sometime down the track. And um, so that is coming up in a few weeks' time. Last week, we had Pastor Sam Dix kick off our Cost of Leadership, uh, Leadership, Cost of Discipleship series. And what I really loved about what he brought to us was that distinction between believers and disciples. And I, went, and I was thinking about that, a verse came to mind. In James 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And this is a really scary thought, that we can believe in God, um, and we can even fear God, and guess what? Demons who oppose God, who are not following God, have the same revelation. So you can have a revelation about God. You can know that God is amazing. You can even be perhaps a little bit afraid about this whole idea that He holds your eternity in His hands and you are not following Him. That is something that we do not want in our Christian life because, come on, I don't want to be in the same category as demons. Yeah, anyone here go like, oh, demons, that's a cool party to be a part of. No, I want to be someone that 
follows Christ with all of my heart, all of my soul, my strength and my will, every part of me. And so this is what discipleship is all about. This is about us learning to be full-fledged followers of Christ. And discipleship, as I mentioned, is a core focus in our church. It is a core focus for this year, but it's also a core focus uh, uh, over the whole of lift. Uh, as far as long as we exist, we want discipleship to be active in our church. Our mission statement is to inspire people to live. And the life that we want to inspire people to is the life that God gives to us. But that life is not accessible, it's not really active in our lives unless we are being disciple. We are following Him. And so this is extremely important. And so today, uh, I want to camp on uh, the passage, Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 26. But before we get to that passage, let me just set the scene for everyone. In Luke chapter 9, uh, what we find at the start is that Jesus does this miraculous thing of feeding 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. Really famous story. Jesus uh, gets this loaves and this fish, he breaks them, he thanks God for it, and then they distribute it. And over 5,000 men alone were fed, not including wives and kids. And so some people say that um, there could have been maybe 10 to 20,000 people that Jesus fed with just five loaves and two fish. Upon finishing, concluding that uh, miracle and they moved on, Jesus then uh, just speaks to his inner circle, his disciples, and he asks them this question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter pipes up for everyone, as he often does in the gospel stories, and he says, you are the Christ. This is a really important revelation. And in another gospel, uh, Jesus actually says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon uh, Peter, because that is not just something that you've come up with. That is a revelation from God. The Christ is the Messiah. Christ is the Greek word. Messiah is the Hebrew word. And Messiah was the one that was prophesied as coming. This was going to be the Savior. This was someone they were anticipating that would come from God that would bring salvation. This is an, an important revelation, right? And then so Jesus kind of talks a little bit about that. And then he jumps to this passage. And this is what it says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man, who is God, who is Jesus, uh, be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. It's a pretty fa uh, famous passage. But as I was thinking about this, this is something that was really interesting to me. Jesus is sitting down with his disciples and they just had this conversation about this revelation that Jesus is the Christ. Up to this point in their following of Jesus, they knew that he was some kind of rabbi, but up to this point, this is the first time that they articulated that this is, you are the Christ. And because we know it's such a big revelation, my thought is this, 
If I was teaching a bunch of people, and let's say I was Jesus, um, and, and then I have not actually said, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. I've not said that. And, and then I say, hey, who do you guys think I am? And he said, I, uh, you are the Christ. I would be like, awesome. You know what, guys? This is a pretty big deal. You have had a revelation from God, and no one can ever take that from you. And in fact, you know what? This revelation, God is going to use that to build His church. This is fantastic. This is awesome. That's how I'd approach it. In fact, some of the other, trans, uh, other gospel um, uh, stories does kind of have this almost like Jesus really excited about the revelation. But in Luke's gospel, the conversation doesn't go, well done, I'm excited, this is awesome, let's go on and change the world. In fact, Jesus then says, in what I imagined for a long time to be quite a disapproving tone. Is anyone here that when you read this passage, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. For what's it going to profit you to gain the whole world but lose your soul? If you're going to be ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Remember, sounds like Jesus is a little bit touchy at the moment, right? Anyone get that? In fact, if you are uh, from Singapore, like me, maybe the first line comes, uh, comes across as a little bit, you want to come, come la. You want to follow and follow. What are you doing? I don't know why I went Italian at the, back, at the end there. I'm not a good Singaporean anymore. Never been one. Um, but you know, there is this weird tone that comes across in this, and I was kind of wondering, oh, Jesus, why did you take this opportunity, or why is it recorded in Luke's gospel that upon the, the sharing of this revelation that you are Christ, you decided to talk about this passage? What is going on here? And as I was sitting with it, a few things came, uh, uh, I believe God revealed to me, and I want to bring that to you uh, uh, today, but I don't think Jesus was telling his disciples off. In fact, I think he was encouraging his disciples, and at the same time also warning them. There is an encouragement and a warning for all of us. And, and in particular, Jesus says right at the start, if anyone would come after me, if anyone the word anyone doesn't mean those only in the crowd there. Jesus was actually saying that what he's saying in this passage was for those disciples, but is also for me as a pastor, and is for you as a layperson, if you want to use that term. It's for every single person that wants to come after Jesus. And I'm going to assume that because you are in a church gathering this morning, that is something that you are at least somewhat considering. And so if anyone wants to come after Jesus, this is what Jesus wanted to encourage and warn you about. So we're going to break down the rest of this uh, uh, passage this morning, and I hope it's going to be encouraging to you. And as I said, the first, one of the first lines that the first line says, if anyone would come after me, I'm going to chop off the middle bit, if anyone would come after me, follow me. So we already talked about that one, Nebs, you go to the next one. If anyone would come after me, follow me. We'll come back to the middle portion in that um, first line. But this is, this is nonsensical to me. Anyone else look at that line and go, if you want to follow me, follow me. Anyone that sees that? It's like, what is this all about? These people that Jesus was sitting with left businesses, 
family and friends to follow him. So why would Jesus say, if you want to follow me, follow me? Why would, be, why would there be that sense of, if that's all Jesus was saying, if you want to follow me, follow me, it's, it, the, the only sense that I can get from that is that they weren't following him well. You get what I mean? Does that come across? If you want to come after me, follow me. And then I did a bit of a dig, and I tried to wrap my head around this phrase, this sentence. Um, it, I kind of read that as a bit of like, catch me if you can. Anyone get that? Catch me if you can. If you want to come after me, haha, I'm too fast for you. I'm too elusive for you. So what was Jesus trying to say here? Now, when I looked into the, and I, I looked into the words, come after to come after me, if anyone wants to come after me. What was Jesus trying to say here? In the Greek, the connotation of the words come after actually means to arrive at. Not so much to be chasing, but to actually have arrived at. If anyone will arrive at me, if anyone would arrive at me, follow me. If anyone would be wanting to meet me here, come with me there. If anyone has already arrived at a place where you've got a revelation of who I am, continue to follow me. I think that makes a lot more sense in the context that the disciples had actually articulated that they knew who Jesus was. They knew that he was a Christ. They had actually arrived at him. So Jesus wasn't telling them off for not being good followers. He was actually encouraging them that, hey guys, you actually got here. This is fantastic. And then he goes on to say, great that you come here. Keep coming with me there. You know, without understanding the here, the there doesn't work very well in our Christian walk. When I was growing up as a young uh, boy into a teenagehood, I was part of a, a denomination that emphasized the church disciplines, the, the spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible, prayer, all of those things. And what was often communicated to me as a young person is that I need to do a lot to get there. There is a lot in my life that isn't quite up to standard, and I needed to work hard in order to get there. And so I tried to do those things that would get me there. But I always seemed to have this suspicion in my heart that I was never good enough to fully arrive there. Jesus was always a couple of paces in front of me, ahead of me, beyond me. And even on my really good days, I would get close to Jesus as far as I understood, and then something would happen, and I would feel like I'm further away than ever before. Has anyone ever in their walk with God ever thought chasing after God, pursuing after God is really hard? He seems to be so slippery and moving at a pace that I can never sustain in my life. How am I supposed to get there? In fact, it got me so uh, disappointed and frustrated that there was a season of my life that I was like, you know what, I'm not even going to try to get there anymore. Why should I try to get there? If I'm never going to meet the standards, the pace, the disciplines, the, um, 
whatever it took, if I don't have that, why even try? I was really discouraged for quite a while. And then I got to this place where I, uh, we, we came to Perth, I've been part of another church, and I started to hear another part of the gospel. And this gospel, if you want to, we can call it the gospel of grace. It's a gospel that helped me to understand that as much as I was trying to pursue God, in fact, more than I was trying to pursue God, God was always pursuing me. We cannot see what Jesus is saying as meet me there if we don't understand that Jesus was saying, I'm meeting you here. If we don't have the here, we will never get there. And that is what Jesus is trying to say. And so I was celebrating and I was excited because for the first time in my life, I felt like God was really revealing that He is a God of love who greatly desires to have me in relationship with Him. I love the idea that God pursues me. I hold on and greatly value the doctrine, the understanding that Christ was pursuing me and loving me even while I was unlovable. The whole worth of a human being doesn't come because of how much I have attained and achieved and done, what the successes I have. It comes because God himself would die for me. My worth and my value comes because the purchase price, the price tag on my life was Christ's death on the cross. That is amazing. We could camp there for a long time and I camped there for years. I was like, here is a great place. Understanding God's love completely, radically changed my understanding of who I am and who He is and what life is meant to be about. And I came there for years, and then suddenly I was like, and then what? God loves me. And then what? God has graced me. And then what? God's gifted me. Yeah, He's given me good gifts. And then what? See, I realized that the gospel message is not complete if all we are thinking and understanding and camping on is that God meets me here. Because Jesus also says there is a there. I started to realize that as much as in my early days, the whole there part had gotten me frustrated and discouraged in my walk with Jesus, I realized that when it's attached to a here, Jesus has met me here and therefore, I am able to follow him there. The gospel message is not about a here or a there. A gospel message is about a here and then a there. I want you to think about your life. When you think about God meeting you here, do you believe it? Do you know it? When God says that He loves you and accepts you, how does that sit with you? Because without that foundation of a here, don't bother trying to go there. Because God's still trying to meet you where you are. He's radically changing your identity so that you know who you are with Him and in Him. The whole New Testament keeps talking about, I am, uh, I am in Christ. I am here in Christ. I don't have to earn, I don't have to work for, 
that identity, I know who I am. But if you're good with here, have you been going there? Have you been following Christ? One theologian that I've been reading from says this, that grace is about, grace stops our need to earn. Grace takes away our need to earn. If there's anything in me that comes to God and says, I need to earn your love, I need to earn your salvation, I need to earn righteousness, if I need to earn anything, that's wrong because the Bible tells us that there has been grace. However, grace takes away our need to earn but doesn't take away our need to put in effort. Sometimes we put effort and earning in the same bucket. It's different concepts. One is to do with our attitude towards God. Do we see Him as one who is judging us and, and, and trying to hold us up to a standard? Or do we see Him as one who has already accepted us with open arms? Earning is about an attitude, but effort is about a response. Another uh, theologian says that without the journey after receiving God's grace, without us responding, we are making grace really cheap. And so what we need to understand is that God's grace meets me where I'm at, but doesn't leave me there. God wants to take us on a journey here and there. And so I'm never worried that I'm not there with God because He's always here with me. But I'm always needing to tune in and go, God, where are you going today? What is it that you have got for me in this moment? And that fellowship is what Jesus wanted to encourage his disciples towards and also to warn them that you can meet me here, but if you stop meeting me every single day, if you don't follow me there, you're not a follower. You had an encounter, but you're not a follower. And that is what Christ is inviting us to, a life that is following Him deeply. Uh, so how do we do that? How do we do that? He gives us two things in that first sentence that I said I will come back to. He says to deny yourself and to take up your cross daily. To deny yourself and to take up your cross daily. If you would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So these two things are highly uh, 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 priority for us if we are to follow Christ. What does it mean to deny yourself? I looked into this as well because I was like, what does that mean? I, was like, I just forget who I am. And I looked into it, and when it, it has to do with a person, the word deny carries the meaning of to repudiate. Now, I have never really understood the word repudiate, so I had to go search it up. To repudiate is to refuse to be associated with. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he needs to refuse to be associated with himself. I refuse to be associated with myself. And I think that is very counter-cultural in today's day, where it's like, you just be yourself. Just be yourself. If someone doesn't accept you for who you are, they don't really love you anyway. And all of those messages that are screamed at us... Um, but Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he needs to refuse to be associated with himself. 
And I think why Jesus said that is because while Jesus meets you where you are, Jesus doesn't want to leave you there. You know, I love that Jesus loved 15-year-old me. With my hormones pinging around, with lustful thoughts, with angry thoughts, with all sorts of issues, God loved 15-year-old Nate. He loved him. I see that clearly, that God was shaping and molding me, and, and He loved me. But guess what? As much as I love that God loved 15-year-old me, I love that I'm not 15-year-old me. How many of you love that Nate is not 15-year-old Nate? I love my two-year-old son. I love him dearly. I would give anything for him. But if he stays a mumbling mess, who makes decisions that puts himself in harm's way, if he, at 30 years old, still makes terrible decisions about his own safety, there has to come a time where I go, buddy, you're going to have to grow up. Daddy's not going to be your safety net anymore because obviously I've done it wrong. (laughs) Does that mean I don't love my two-year-old son? I love him enough to understand that he's got more potential. And so my journey is of refusing to be associated with my old self. The Bible often calls that the flesh, the old ways of thinking and the old ways of living. I refuse to be associated with that. I used to be an angry person, still kind of am, but I refuse to be associated with that angry person. I used to have lust. I refuse to be associated with that lust. I used to be ill-disciplined. I refuse to be associated with that person. I used to hate conflict. Well, I refuse to be associated with that person. Why is it okay for us to hold on to these character deficits and to say, that's who I am? You need to love that part of me. No, refuse to be associated with that person because Christ is saying, follow me. And then the next thing he goes on to say is to take up your cross daily. Now, this is a really difficult one that I've been pondering for many years. And a part of this is because when you are reading the Bible and you want to interpret the Bible, we can't force our culture, our understanding, our experience onto the Bible. We need to allow the Bible to speak to us from its context. And so when I'm looking at that, I realize that the disciples did not know a crucified Christ. They knew a Christ who was walking with them. They didn't know that the cross was going to be associated with Christ one day. So what was the cross to them? In that moment, what would the cross have been? The cross was punishment for breaking the Roman Empire's rules. So I think that when Jesus said, take up your cross daily, and they heard the word cross, they said, I need to be willing to be punished for living a different way from the world. I need to be willing to be punished by living a different way from this world. Let me be really careful here. I'm not saying that you become a rebel uh, and and to break all the laws of our land because the Bible is also really clear to obey the laws of our land, that God has delegated authority to the rulers of the land uh, for us to obey and to live by. And in fact, Peter writes later in one of his letters, uh, honor the emperor. Who was the emperor? The emperor was someone who was actively killing Christians. And Peter still said, honor that guy. 
So we're not talking about an active rebellion and trying to overthrow the government because when we throw, overthrow this government, there will be another government. Does that mean that we're perpetually living in a place where we are trying to uh, perform coup after coup, uh, knocking off premier after premier, prime minister after premier? No. The Christian's responsibility is not about the political laws, but of the values of the land. What the world says is important, if Christ is saying it's not, I'm living as though it's not. Even though people are going to look at me and criticize me for the way that I'm living. I think this is something that's a little bit lost in our Christianity. Especially in a nation that was built on Christian principles, so much so that those Christian principles are embedded a lot into our lives. But now we have to interpret, is that, Christ, is that from that Christian foundation or has it been twisted and warped? And am I willing to be punished for living a different way? And in our society, we think about what success means. Money, house, how we dress, you know, what kind of relationships we have, what kind of lifestyle we have. And yeah, people will start to ask you if you look a little bit different from that. They start asking you, why are you living that way? Why are you going to church every Sunday? Sometimes we have really, really important people in our lives that even question the choices we make to be Christian. Am I willing to be punished because my value system is not what someone else is saying, but what God is saying? Am I willing to put my neck on the line because I believe the truth of what God says. There are many things that I look at in my life that I'm going, you know what? I'm not always willing to compromise for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus is saying, if you will follow me, you deny yourself and you take up your cross daily. Now, I, wanna, I have to speed through the rest here. And maybe if it's not clear enough, send through the questions and we'll talk about it again. But I think that the rebellion that we are living with is in the value system of the world. And this is really specific here because Jesus goes on to say in our key passage today, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Now the word world here is the Greek word cosmos, from which we get the word cosmos. It's a set. Can you hear the difference? Cosmos, cosmos, so different. I'm talking about the universe here, and the actual Greek word, the origins of the word, is very much the created world. However, the biblical usage of the word cosmos takes a different meaning to simply the created world. It actually means the created world that is trying to live without the creator. It is trying to live aside to depart from the Creator. And we can see this, for example, in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 11, which says, I will punish the world for its evil for the wicked of, uh, and the wicked for their iniquity. I'll put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. You can see that um, the, the uh, wicked, iniquity, evil, pomp, arrogant, pride, ruthless, that is the new world order, if you will. 
It is how the world operates without the Creator. That is just one of many examples of how the word world in the Bible connotates this created world that is living without its designer. But even more interesting to me, in 1 Peter 3, verse 3 to 4, I'm going to read this out. I want you to find which word you think is the word cosmos. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothes you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I assure you, this is not a trick question. The word cosmos is in there. Which word do you think it is? It is the word adorning. Do not let your cosmos be external. Do not let your cosmos be external. It is how we create our worlds. It is what our world is going to be about. It's how we fit together and put together our identity and our sense of who we are. And so Peter tells these people, don't let your cosmos be about the external things. Let your cosmos be about the internal things. So interesting that this Greek word is used to talk about the cosmos. And then it's talking about how you're constructing himself. So Jesus in this passage is saying, are you living according to a worldview that is actually in alignment with God? Or are you living in a worldview that is actually contrary to God? And that's why Jesus said very strongly, if any one of you is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. See, following Jesus is going to cost us. Following Jesus is going to cost us the ability or the right for us to associate ourselves with wickedness, with evil, with value systems that are contrary to God. And I'm not talking about the big things because most of us understand the big things and we're trying to deal with the big things and we don't have a value system that goes around murdering people. But do you have a value system that is like, I'm going to look exactly like how God has called me to look like? Or do you go, oh, that's going to cost me too much? I know especially when I was a teenager, that was definitely the things that I was thinking about. Being a Christian wasn't cool. Being a Christian isn't cool. But the more I've lived out my life, the more I've discovered that, you know what? Life is not found in trying to have the affirmation of this world. Life is found when I am following Jesus day by day and step by step. The cost of discipleship is this. It will cost you your pride It'll cost you control. It'll cost you your ability to make your life whatever you want it to be. But what you get in return is the designer, the creator, being a part of your life and putting things together step by step. Being with you every single step of every single day. He's faithful even when we are faithless. He's always full of love and grace. And he's always trying to lead us into a deeper level of life 
in love. So as we continue the next few weeks, we'll continue to talk about all of these different, well, a couple of different uh, more costs that I think that the Bible is very clear about. But today I want to camp on that idea of the here and the there. Are you in a place today where you struggle with understanding that Jesus is here with me? Are you in a place where understanding that Christ is for me and not against me, that's a truth and a reality? If that is a struggle for you, that's something that God wants to address in your life. But then if you go, you know what, no, I actually do have a deep revelation of God's love for me. I do. Then how is your there going? Are you following Jesus in every single aspect of your life? And I was reading up about how one person actually wanted to dive deeper into this whole thing of like, I want to be meditating on God's words all the time. And I want to know God's presence in my life. I, I really want to know that. And how do you pray constantly? What is that all about? And this person actually set an alarm on his, uh, I don't know, I think this was quite a while ago, so I can't say phone or watch. But he set some kind of alarm so that every single hour, he would spend the first few seconds of that hour going, God, what are you saying to me right now? God, what are you saying to me right now? You know, that really challenges me because I think if I were to look at all the hours of my day, the sum total of the number of times I would think about that is maybe once a day. <laughs> I'll start my day and go, okay, God, what do you want me to do? All right, I'm going to do it now. I don't check in. Is that because it's like so much effort, right? It's like, this is my life. No, it's not. I have met him here and he's a great God, he's a loving God, and there's nothing more precious than my God, and he's asking me to follow him. So we're going to have communion as a church. If I can get the host team to distribute the emblems, just stay seated. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.